begin our reading in verse 11. I know we've been really hovering over this text now for some time and have been looking at this passage of Scripture uh, and continue to try to slowly progress our way through this final chapter of the book of Ephesians, Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. And again, this morning we're going to look at this passage as a whole. We're going to pick, of course, uh, as we go through the Scriptures, we're going to pick up that which Paul is declaring to us in its truth, but we're not yet dissecting the verses quite yet. We are still looking at it as an overall whole of what Paul is teaching, so we might have an understanding of the significance of the individual verses and the truths within those verses as Paul declares them to be. And so we'll be looking at this again as an entirety of a passage here, um, as a section of this final chapter of Ephesians. So beginning in verse 11, we will read, "...put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God." that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let's pray again. Father, we are grateful for the opportunity to stand and proclaim your Word this day. May we have receptive hearts, may we have understanding and discernment provided by your Spirit. May we be faithful to proclaim the truth that you have provided for us in this epistle of Paul to the Ephesians. And may we grow in our knowledge of Jesus, and may we grow in the faith that we might truly stand as you have called and commanded us to do. And may we be faithful as your stewards, and may we be faithful as your servants, may we be faithful as those who are followers of Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we glorify and honor you in all things and recognize that that is to take place as we daily, moment by moment, submit unto your Lordship. So Father, may you give us grace to understand your truth and discernment, and may we have grace as well and power of your Spirit to walk in the truth that you have provided and taught us and will teach us this day. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. In review of our last study, obviously I was absent on last week, so I want to go back to, as I would anyway, review somewhat, but we want to look back at our last study, which was a couple of weeks ago now, to revisit some of the details which we've previously examined from this text of Scripture. And I believe this is necessary, this this review in us, again, looking at the entirety of what Paul has written here in verses 10, specifically through verse 17. We began our reading, of course, in verse 11 today concerning putting on this armor. But it is important that we recognize and understand the overall truth that Paul is teaching us here in light of all that he has already given us and established in the previous chapters, specifically chapters 1 through 3 of this epistle. And so it's important that we understand these truths and that we maintain the progressive nature of this portion of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, in which, of course, we know he provides for them instruction and explanation concerning the spiritual warfare. As I've pointed out over the past few weeks, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are engaged in a spiritual war that we cannot avoid. It is not about us going and trying to find or pick a fight. The war is going to come to us. And we are engaged in a war in which we cannot avoid as followers of Christ. Throughout the past studies of this passage, we have seen it is clearly established within the Scriptures that this war presents itself 
on two fronts. First, there are attacks which we face from within. In James 1, 13-15, James wrote, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So James here points out very clearly that the problem is not even the temptation itself. The problem is the lust that exists within us, the sinful flesh, not the body in which we live, but the sinful flesh nature which we possess that then gives in to temptation. Galatians 5, 16 and 17, Paul also wrote, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so ye cannot do the things that ye would." Again, it's important that I point out to you in Galatians 5 the importance of what Paul states. First of all, he gives us the antidote, the only antidote, for not living in the life or works of the flesh, and that is to submit to the Spirit of God, to walk in the Spirit of God. So to walk in the truth of the Spirit, as He guides us, teaches us, instructs us, corrects us in truth, pointing us to Jesus Christ, glorifying Jesus Christ, as we walk in the Spirit, we are not therefore fulfilling the lust of the flesh. We saw the lust, as mentioned in James. And so it's a sinful, fleshly desire that exists within every single one of us. As Paul again mentioned in Romans 7 about this body of death and this wickedness that is within him. And this law, the members that, that serve the law of sin, whereas the inward man is serving the law of God, the righteousness of God, by the Spirit that indwells him. And when Paul says that the antidote here is walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, he is saying... It's not attempt to not fulfill the lust of the flesh so you can walk in the Spirit. No, submit to God's Spirit, submit to God's Word, submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will not, you cannot then walk in the flesh at the same time. And again, this is something we must recognize daily. It's not a one-time event. It's not, I was born again this one day, and now from there on out I'm walking in the power of the Spirit of God. No, I walk through life with His presence within me, but I am to recognize the attack that is constantly present within me as well, as Paul mentions in both Galatians 5 and Romans 7, that there's this constant warfare that is taking place. He goes on to say in Galatians 5 here, that we are to walk in the Spirit, that we not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Then verse 17, again, an interesting statement, for the flesh lusteth against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And the meaning of Paul's statement here, you can do the study yourself, I've explained it in, in previous studies, Paul is saying the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, meaning this, that the flesh, the sinful nature, desires to take control or claim rights to the physical body in which it dwells, the sinful nature dwells, and the Spirit of God dwells within us. And so the flesh, the sinful nature, the sinful desire of the flesh is constantly attempting to make claim to the body in which it dwells, to which it has no rightful claim. Why? Because we've been bought with a price. We are to glorify God in both our body and our spirit, which are God's in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul stated. So we must understand this war that's going on is that the flesh, the sinful nature, is always wanting to control the body and make a claim as though it has right to take control when it has no such right as believers in Jesus Christ. We've been purchased, we've been redeemed, we've been bought with a price. And it's so interesting, again, that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, Therefore, glorify God in both your body and your spirit, which are both God's, which belong to Him. 
And so we are to submit, therefore. Then there also are attacks we face from without. This war is not only an inward war, but it's a war that we, we, we face an outward attack. Our attacks from without. Ephesians 6, 11 and 12, or through 12. Put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And wiles, of course, is that of trickery or schemes. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's not talking about the war within you. That's talking about the war that's going on around you. And so we have an enemy, a real enemy, that is attempting to, to hinder the eternal purpose of God, which will not, he's already defeated, and we know that, but there's a constant attack nonetheless by the enemy in this realm. 1 Peter 5, 8, 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Here, of course, Peter is stating that there is an enemy, that the adversary, the devil, walking about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith. And that's interesting in relation to what Paul says in Ephesians 6, for our stand is one of faith. We are standing in the faith. And so we are resisting that outward attack that is coming against us on a constant basis. Jesus told, said to Peter, of course, that he, the Lord Jesus, is the rock upon which he would build his church. Remember? And what did he say? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There is a constant attack against the church of the Lord Jesus, who is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, who is following after Jesus, who is committed to the eternal purpose of God in Jesus Christ, there is a constant attack that is taking place. But as we have seen already demonstrated within Scripture, we are not fighting for victory. But we are fighting, we are standing in a position and from a position of victory. We've already received the victory. We've been given the victory in Jesus Christ. And so within this portion of his exhortation concerning the spiritual attacks which we face, Paul emphasizes the importance of maintaining the position which God has given us by instructing the believer to stand. And we saw from our last study that the phrase to stand is an infinitive or what is referred to as a verbal noun. And this is important for this reason. This simply means that it is a word that has both the characteristics of a noun and of a verb, but yet it's neither a noun or a verb. And so a verbal noun or an infinitive to stand is a, is a phrase that has characteristics of a noun, person, place, or thing, but also has characteristics of either a state of being or an action, which of course is that which defines a verb. And so when Paul says that we are to stand, this is referring to both a position from the aspect of a noun, it is a thing, a position which we maintain, and also implies our responsibility to actively continue or maintain that position, which is the aspect of the verb. So when he says to stand, it, it is implying, first of all, there is something upon in, in which we stand, and then it is implying that we are responsible to maintain that stand, that position which we've been given. Within this text, Paul qualified the stand which he commands we take or maintain as we saw in our last study. First of all, we stand in truth. And I want to show you something here that's interesting. You look at the first thing we stand in, and we'll stop here for just a moment. We stand in truth, and then the last thing in verse 7 he mentions is we stand on the Word of God. Isn't that somewhat interesting? So sandwiched between the truth and the Word of God, which really are synonymous, obviously, Jesus, our Lord, the truth and the truth of Christ, the truth of God's Word, and then the Word of God itself, which is the revealed Christ. 
And sandwiched between these two statements is all of this other in which we stand, as Paul explains. Now notice he says we stand in truth. Verse 14, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. Now you say that doesn't say stand in truth. It says stand having your loins girt about with truth. Think about this for a moment. We are standing in a position. And what are we standing in? We're standing in this position of truth. We are girded with truth. We are, we are supported in truth. And so we understand that, that this is significant as a first statement. By the way, it's interesting, prior to the last statement Paul makes in verse 17, the, the one before, he says in verse 17, the first part, take the helmet of salvation. We stand in salvation. We'll get there in a moment. But notice, it's interesting that Paul does not begin with we stand in salvation. Which, there'd be nothing wrong with that, obviously, because we stand in salvation, do we not? But notice he says, we stand in truth. And we'll, we'll deal with that in a moment again. Second, we stand in righteousness, verse 14 goes on to say, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. So I have, I am girded with truth, I have on the breastplate of righteousness, and I am standing in this position. What is the position? It's that of truth. I'm standing in Christ, in the truth of the victory, in the truth of the sufficiency, in the truth of God's provision of Jesus Christ as Paul so clearly pointed out in chapters 1 through 3, if you recall, this position we've been given in Christ. Third, we stand in the gospel, the good news of God's peace. Verse 15, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Peace between God and man through Jesus Christ. We stand in this peace, the gospel, the good news. We stand in faith, verse 16, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Then we stand in salvation, verse 17, the first part. Take the helmet of salvation. And then we stand on the word of God, verse 17, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So here Paul is saying, we stand in truth, we stand in righteousness, we stand in the good news of the gospel of peace, we stand in faith, we stand in salvation, we stand on the word of God. So Paul not only provides here instruction to stand, but also provides us with the details of the armor which God has provided for us in which we are to stand. And it's important that we recognize that all of this is based on truth. In other words, let me say it like this, and we'll deal with this again in the future weeks, Lord willing. We stand in truth, and we stand in true righteousness, His righteousness, God's, in Christ. We stand in the true gospel, true peace with God. We stand in true faith, the faith of Christ given to us. We stand in true salvation. We stand in the true, the truth of the Word of God. And so all of this is rooted and based in truth. As you know, many people would say, well, the most important thing of all is love. And they go to 1 Corinthians, of course, 13 and say love is more important than anything else. Let me remind you of something. That is not the emphasis of what Paul is teaching at all. There's a context provided there. And here's what we must understand. Truth even supersedes love, and here's why. Without truth, you do not have true love. And so without truth, there is no true love. Without truth, there is no true righteousness. Without truth, there is no true gospel. Are you following? Without truth, there is no true salvation. Without truth, there is nothing upon which we stand that is of any substantial, trustworthy foundation. And so we have a position of truth which we take. We previously observed that Paul begins this portion of this letter with a command. Verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. So we are to rely totally on the strength and provision of God. Paul begins right there saying that. Notice what he says. 
Finally, last of all, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Then he commands further, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now the imperative, as we saw last in our last study, the imperative to put on means to dress or to clothe. And so the command to put on the whole armor of God should be as regular of a spiritual daily routine for the believer as it is for one to physically dress or clothe himself daily. Just as clothes are natural and necessary for daily activity, so also this armor should be viewed as a normal necessity for the everyday life and activity of the believer. I said to you two weeks ago that it is it is all too common that people view this passage as though God has given us some closet of armor that's a stash somewhere that upon occasion we have to go grab some of this armor and put it on because there's a war coming. No, listen, this is a daily provision made by God for a daily spiritual war in which we are engaged whether we like it or not. So this isn't something just set aside for when as needed. This is needed all the time. Again, I go to uh, Hebrews, refer you to uh, Hebrews chapter 4, where we're told that we are to come boldly unto the throne of grace. We have a great high priest, right? And we are therefore to come boldly with confidence unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, again, our way of thinking is, okay, so there are times that I'm in real need and I need God's grace, and so I'm going to go to God, and I know He's got grace for me in those moments. Wait a minute. Let me ask you a question. Are you really so ignorant or arrogant to believe that there is one moment in your earthly existence that you are not desperate for the grace of God? So we come before the throne of God to obtain mercy and find grace in time of need, which is, for your information, all the time. So grace is always there because we are always in need of grace. And just as much so, this provision of God in this armor is not some stash somewhere we've got in our back pocket that we can pull out when we think we need something. No, we must clothe daily, we must acknowledge daily, we must rely daily upon the might and strength of the Lord, as Paul says in verse 10. Notice again, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. When are we not to be strong in the Lord? When are we not relying upon His might? Are you seeing this? See, we view this all wrongly so often as though it's something, again, that God has over here in the corner for us when we need to pull it out. No, as normal and as natural as it is for you to get up in the morning and put clothes on your body, appropriate attire for the appropriate attire for the day, whatever you may be doing, so it is even more so necessary as a follower of Jesus Christ that we daily acknowledge and recognize our absolute dependence to clothe ourselves in God's provision of Jesus Christ that we might face the spiritual warfare in which we are engaged. The statement whole armor refers to every weapon, every instrument, every tool. And the Lord has provided all the resources necessary for these daily battles which we face. God has not provided us this armor so that we can gain a victory. Listen, I've said this to you two weeks ago, and it's so important you remember this truth. God has not provided us this armor that we might gain a victory. That's another way people view this so often. It says, well, God gave me this so I can have victory, so I can, gain, so I can win a victory. Uh, no, 
And Paul he made it clear, if we're winning anything, and winning not meaning that we are fighting so that we can get this, but if there is a reward, it is not some earthly victory we experience. Paul says that I may win Christ. He is the reward to know Him, to be with Him. So God has not provided us His armor so that we can gain a victory, but He has provided us the armor that we might daily experience the victory He's already provided us in Christ. He didn't say, here, suit up and now try to go win a fight. He's saying, clothe yourself in my provision for you that you might realize, that you might experience on a daily basis the truth of the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're being told here. So in reality, it is only as we daily appropriate God's provision in Jesus Christ that we will experience the peace, the joy, the victory, the salvation, experience the joy of this salvation, the righteousness, all of this provision of God, we will experience as we are appropriating God's provision in Jesus Christ for us on a daily basis. So, let us understand this truth, and we're going to see this as Paul states in Romans 13, 12 through 14. To put on the whole armor of God, to put on the armor, is in reality to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's where we see this come together in Romans 13, 12 through 14. The night is far spent, Paul wrote. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering or wantonness, not in strife and envying. But look at verse 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So to put on this armor is not, okay, well, we put on some faith, we put on some salvation, you know, we put on, we put on, uh, we take a little bit of God's word today. No, to clothe yourself in Jesus, who is God's provision for you. Remember verse 3 of chapter 1 of Ephesians? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. He's already made this provision. He's already provided the victory. It's not for you to go win a battle which you face or one that you are going out to find. It is for you to put on the provision that's been made for you that you might realize on a daily basis. When I say realize, I don't simply mean understand that you might know this, I'm saying that you might experience, that you might realize the truth of this provision that God has made. So this morning, we're going to begin or continue an examination of this armor God has provided for believers as listed by Paul within this text. But before we begin to examine the individual pieces of this armor, we will not get into all of that this morning yet, it's important that I remind you that this provision is ultimately provided in the person of our Lord Jesus as we've established already. In other words, this armor is not something, here's what I mean by this, this armor is not something provided in addition to our Lord. But it is that which the Father has provided us in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is God really giving us anything more than Jesus? 
Does God need to give us anything more than Jesus? Are you following? The important thing for you to understand is this is not something in addition to your salvation. It's not something in addition to righteousness. It's not something in addition to Jesus. This is Jesus. This is what it means to put on Jesus Christ, to live in the truth of God's provision for us in Jesus. So let's look, first of all, at the reason we must appropriate God's provision for us in spiritual warfare. In his epistle to the church at Corinth, Paul explained both the manner of war we face and the reason we are in need of God's provision in this war. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6, Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, that bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Once again, we see the truth that we are engaged in a warfare that is not physical. Paul reminds us of that in Corinthians and in Ephesians. But this is a war, of course, that is spiritual in nature. Ephesians 6.12, again, part of our text. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Nonetheless, regardless, God has equipped us as believers with everything that we need for the spiritual warfare which we face. And it's through this armor that God provides us the means to daily again experience the victory which is already provided for us in Jesus Christ. I know I keep saying that, but we need to understand that. Because we have a tendency, again, to read this passage and say, okay, i gotta go, I got to go get all this armor on, as though it's an addition to our Lord, or as though it's for some battle that we are going to face apart from Him. And say, okay, God made all the provision for us, now it's our responsibility to go get in our might, strength, and go fight. No, we stand in His power, in His might, in His provision. Might I say to you, that our issue really is not, for most at least, it shouldn't be, I would hope not as believers and followers of Christ, our issue is not taking a, a stand in boldness, it's not taking a stand against wickedness, it's not taking a stand for righteousness. That, that's not an issue for us. If you are a lover of truth, a lover of Christ, a follower of Christ, and, and you love truth, and you don't, have a, you don't have a problem standing in righteousness or standing for righteousness, here's what we have a problem with. We have a problem resting and relying totally, completely, absolutely, submitting all of ourselves, everything about us, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and resting in His sufficiency as God's provision for us. We want to do. We do. We want to do. We want to fight. We want Wait. No, my problem is standing. My problem is not fighting. My problem, oh, I, can, I can argue and I can debate and I can fight. The problem is, recognizing that this is not a physical war, this is a spiritual war in which I am engaged, I am constantly being uh, confronted by attacks of the enemy, and I, in the sinful flesh in which I, this, the sinful fleshly nature that dwells within me is a constant problem for me, a constant struggle for me, a constant war going on inside of me. Second, let's look at the power of the armor which God has provided. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6, again, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not walk after the flesh. There's the reason we need to appropriate this provision, because it's a spiritual matter, not a physical one. And then we see the, the power. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. 
Now again, the natural tendency is to attempt to fight battles in our own strength. And understand, when Paul writes this, this isn't about you personally, about, oh, your, your ideas and your lofty imagination. No, Paul is saying that God has equipped us as the church, as followers of Christ. He has equipped us with spiritual provision in Jesus Christ, the spiritual armor that we might stand in His truth, which is the only thing that is capable by the power of His Spirit to tear down every high imagination of man against the gospel, against the knowledge of God. That's what Paul is speaking of here. So he's not talking about your internal battles that you face personally. He's talking about the outside attacks against the gospel of Jesus Christ, the knowledge of God, and how God has equipped us as his church to stand not only in opposition to that, but by his power, by his truth, by his spirit, he will use his gospel, his truth, the provision of Christ, to tear down this imagination and this, this attempt of man. To exalt himself above God. And therefore to bring every thought to the obedience of Christ. Captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So since this is not a physical battle, we must rely upon the Lord for spiritual strength. Again, in our text of Ephesians chapter 6, Paul explains, verses 13 through 17. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now notice Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. This is the armor of God of which he refers, and we understand that this is not individual pieces that can be isolated to themselves. This is the entirety of the provision that God has made, as as described in this text. So we are not fighting a physical enemy, and the weapons God has provided are not physical, but spiritual weapons for spiritual war in which we are engaged. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians now for a moment, chapter 3, verse 4 again. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, Paul wrote, but mighty through God, to, he said first, the pulling down of strongholds. The Greek word from which this term is translated means tearing down, destruction. And the term strongholds is also translated from a single Greek word, which means fortress. So in this passage, Paul is declaring that the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the destruction of fortresses. Now, Paul's use of language in this statement is significant in providing us the proper imagery in relation to the fact that we are in a spiritual war. We think of a fortress, we think of that which is built up to, to war off, uh, those who would attack it, and so on and so forth, or that which is built up to, to isolate uh, or hold captive those within it, or what have you. And it's only through the provision God has made for us in Christ that these fortresses are even capable of being destroyed. As Paul instructed the Ephesians, we must appropriate this provision God has made. Again, chapter 6, 10, and 11. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So there's, there are these fortresses against God and the gospel that, has been, that have been built by man and empowered by the enemy of the gospel, Satan himself. And this is a spiritual war, therefore, that requires spiritual might and spiritual power, which comes only from God's Spirit, and only the Spirit of God using the armor provided for us in the person of Jesus Christ as we would clothe ourselves in Christ. Are we ever going to be effective being used by God in destroying the fortresses built by the enemy against the knowledge of God and the gospel? 
Only the power of the gospel can prevail against the enemy which has blinded the hearts of men to the truth and light of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 3, 4, he goes on to say, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the casting down to, of imaginations and everything that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. The term casting down is once again translated from a word which simply means to refute or to destroy. And the noun imaginations means thought or argument. So every high thing refers to everything that lifts itself against in opposition to growing in the knowledge of God. And so this very statement explains the reality that this is truly a spiritual war. These are things which are constantly competing against the preeminence and the lordship of Jesus Christ and the knowledge of God, knowing God. These are those things, the casting down, refuting and destroying. Only God, God's spirit using the power of the gospel, the provision of Christ made for man by God the Father is able to tear down, to destroy the thoughts and the arguments all of the lofty imaginations of men against the gospel, against the truth of God. St. Corinthians 3, 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. To the third, he says, Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The heart of man, which is to say the mind, and innermost part of the being of man, is an utter rejection of God's rule and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And let me say this to you. There is nothing you are physically going to do that will ever change someone's thoughts and minds concerning his need, his condition, or the lordship of Christ. Apart from the Spirit of God using the truth of God in which you stand to therefore tear down such opposition. The only answer to such rebellion and rejection against God is the power of the gospel. It's only through the power of the gospel that men are brought to a state of obedience unto God. And didn't we see we stand having our loins girt about with truth. We stand using the Word of God, and everything else is sandwiched in between there, between these two truths. To put on the whole armor of God, what we must understand, to put on the whole armor of God is to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul declared in Romans. We are to live in the truth of God's provision for us. Remember chapters 1 through 3 of this book? We spent months studying through that passage, chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians, where God has given us a position in Jesus Christ. Chapters 4 through 6, again, practical in nature about how we are to live out the truth of that position in Jesus Christ. Chapters 1 through 3, I know you've heard this a multitude of times already, but let us not forget, chapters 1 through 3 is all about our position in Christ. Christ, we are in Him. And chapters 4 through 6 is all about Christ is in us. So put on the provision, stand in the truth of God's provision, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Romans 13, 12 through 14. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, let us put on the armor of light. What is that armor of light? Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in riding and drunkenness, nor in chambering and oneness, not in strife and ending. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Once again, we must recognize this truth before we delve into the truth of this armor individually, looking at the, the significance as it is mentioned. We must recognize, when I say individually, they are not individual. It's all part of the armor of God, the whole armor. But yet these individual uh, pieces, as Paul has listed them in this text, before we enter into our study of these these this armor as it is declared and listed by Paul, we need to remember this truth. This armor is not an addition to Jesus Christ, 
but it is God's for provision for us in and through the person of Jesus Christ. To put on this armor is not for you to add something to salvation, for you to add something to Jesus. To put on this armor, to put on this armor is to put on Jesus himself, to live in the truth of God's provision. Look, I will admit to you quickly that I am not capable of fighting a spiritual battle by a physical means. I could not save myself. I cannot keep myself. I cannot experience victory of myself. But here's the beauty of it. I don't have to save myself. I don't have to keep myself. And I don't have to win some victory for myself. God has made this entire provision for us in Jesus already. So let us put on the Lord Jesus Christ.